welcome to another episode of the Joy of Social Work Pod. I am Joy. I hope everyone is doing as well as you can be doing during this time that's still crazy. Um, I think, I know I thought it would be over, but it's not. And I also thought that black people mattered a little bit more or like we're starting to matter a little bit more, but that was proven to not be the case this week too. So I don't know. I don't know how other people are feeling, but that was shitty and that the officers or the men, the assholes who killed Breonna Taylor are not going to be in jail is really fucking upsetting, especially as a black woman. Um, who, you know, every night goes to bed and goes to sleep and hopes to wake up and get shot. Like, what the fuck? But anyway, I'm not going to go too much into that because I'll be in a, a different space. So I am doing all right. There's been some changes going on. Um, I got a job. I got a part-time job. So I was contacted by a college. They were looking for a social worker or therapist of color. A black therapist, actually, knows what it is. Call a thing a thing. Um, because students had complained about there being a lack of the, especially in the counseling center. And so they reached out, asked if I was interested. I interviewed uh, with a few people. was offered the job. So I'm going to be doing that for a few hours each week, which I'm super excited about because it's new. Um, working with adolescents was my first Love my first job being supervised by LCSW. So my first like social work job, I say, um, I worked with adolescents. I worked with 12 to 21 year olds. So this is bringing me back. Well, not the 12 part, but you know, the later adolescence, this is bringing me back to that. I have been to worked with teenagers since 2007. So I'm a little and a little nervous and a little bit like, oh, what if I'm weird and they don't like me? And imposter syndrome was definitely kicking my ass yesterday. So it's Saturday. <laughs> my first day was Friday the 25th. Yeah, Friday the 25th um, was my first day. And I definitely had all kinds of knots in my stomach and feelings of like, maybe I can't do this. I don't. What if I'm not good enough? Did they really interview me well enough. Um, I only spoke to four people. It's not enough. Maybe I needed to be vetted more. They asked for references. How do they not know? How do they know I'm not trash? And it's like all of these thoughts and feelings that I was having about taking on this role. And I'm like, girl, if you don't shut up. I also like mentioned it to people who also told me, girl, if you don't. So I had to reel it back in and like have a whole, you know, Beyonce, who the fuck do you think I is? moment with myself and say girl girl you better act like you know who you are and so I feel better about it um I haven't seen clients yet I uh, don't know if I, I might next week not sure yet but I am looking forward to it gonna be running some groups and stuff so it's different but it's familiar so I am excited so yay that's new um I don't feel like anything else is really going on. <laughs> like, just out here working. Um, my practice is going well. That feels like a blessing. I remember I was having, um, I've been having a few conversations with people who who keep being like, yo, you remember it? 
when you quit and then school's closed and he was like, I shouldn't have quit. I could have made it. I was like, yeah. And then they're like, but aren't you glad you quit? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And so shout out to my educators. Shout out to my parents. Shout out to students who, if you're under 18, shouldn't be listening to this podcast. So you should turn it off. Um, But shout out to y'all because I don't even know how you're going to school and you're going to work and you're sending your kids to school, be it person or virtually, because this whole thing sounds stressful as fuck. Talk to anybody, educator, parent, student. It just, it just sounds like too much. And I'm just like, mm-mm, at that. I'm so glad that I don't have to do that. I do not envy you because that feels like a huge stress. I hope that you are taking care of yourself and you are in boundaries and you are trying to be as well and during this time because I'm sure it is a little bit more or a lot of bit more stressful than it is usually with back to school time so shout out to you thinking about you again get into some self-care routines um I have posted something on Instagram and I feel like it's been kind of a that's been going around like several posts going around about um seasonal affective disorder and winter depression and all of the the cold weather depression it's getting colder and darker and I would recommend strongly encourage folks to get their self-care uh routines in order now so that when it becomes dark and it becomes cold that you're in a space of oh I know that I can do this I can do this I can do this so that we're not sitting in the house all winter because they're covid is comes back or not like outdoor dining is a thing of the past who's sitting outside in a cold not me um and who's sitting in a restaurant most likely not me either because that I don't want to really so you know get your toolbox together get your your resources up um whatever that might look like for you you know for me therapy I love taking two three hour baths which is not a good use of my, it makes me feel good. <laughs> but like if I could cut it down to an hour, but an hour does not ever feel like enough. Um, so they use hours, sometimes less. Um, be it, what else do I do? Um, talk to my friends. In the beginning of the pandemic, talk to my family a lot. We would have meet weekly on, we don't do that anymore. Cause I think people are kind of back into their grooves and their flows. I was talking to my little cousin and she was like, we don't talk like we used to. And I'm like, I know, we should set something up. So whatever it is, uh, go back to ba- baking banana bread, whatever it is you were doing. If you didn't do anything the last six, seven months to feel better, this really feels like a time to start looking into some stuff because I think it's going to get, I think the winter is going to be rough, personally. So the holidays, I hate the holidays. Um, like I want to go visit my family for the holidays, but I live in New York. They live in North Carolina right now. If you go to North Carolina, you have to quarantine in New York back for two weeks, which then means I can't see clients in person for two weeks, which is like not the worst. Cause I could either, I could see them virtually, but some people don't virtual. So then do I not see clients for two weeks because I'll go to see my family? IDK might be a thing. And if you don't know that reference, Google it. But anyway, on this here episode, I'm talking with my fellow licensed clinical social worker, Miss Nidia Guiti. And we are talking about some, we're really talking about how people got the, the sauce. Like you have the sauce. We're just here to 
bring it out of you or let you know that you got it. So stay tuned. We talk about our social work. All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Joy of Social Work podcast. Hope everyone has been doing well. It is September. We are still in the pandemic. Life is still crazy. <laughs> um, but I hope you're doing as well as you can with all that is going on. So I am thrilled to have my guest today because if you follow her on Instagram, she gives this amazing energy and uh, like, she's just so dope. <laughs> and you're from the Bronx. It's just like, ugh, how could one person just be so amazing? Um, and she always has her nails done and she's giving me braided wig life today. <laughs> So welcome, Nidia. Oh yes. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. You know all things. Uh, what do people say? You just like, like gas me up. I feel uplifted, right? Yes, that's as you should. You should always feel uplifted, sis. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah, I have my braided wig on today. It's, it's funny, like, doing the recording and, like, we're seeing each other. Because, uh-huh. like, the, the listeners can't see us. But yeah, I have my braided wig on today. Nails done. Yes. She from the Bronx day. shirt. <laughs> Here for all of it. Um, yeah, that is the weird thing about podcasts. It's like, you don't see the person. I was like, I'm going to take a shower because I didn't want, I didn't do anything with my hair. I'd still look a little dusty but far less dusty than i did 30 minutes ago man listen this quarantine i put on <laughs> jeans for the first time yesterday mm-hmm. in like months uh-huh i'm thankful that they still fit uh-huh. but it just felt weird i was like what is this on my skin because like <laughs> i either don't have on pants or i have on shorts right right this is like my, my whole leg is covered like what is this yeah it's different it's so different i went to put on jeans to go to like I've worn like a distressed jean like this one that has like giant holes in it but I went mm-hmm. to put on like a real jean because I was gonna go to my office and I'm like oh I go with jeans and I put half a leg in and I was like nah I'm not ready for these yet <laughs> and, and it's gonna get cold so oh, it's man. like that's the reason why I put on pants yeah because you know, I put on like a dress or I don't know like a tank dress or something like that but it was like 70 something degrees I live in Atlanta so mm-hmm. like for me anything below 80 is winter and it was 70 degrees <laughs> you that act morning like you're not from New York you Look, don't remember I feel like New York and Vermont um yeah, Vermont too traumatized me so I'm just so like thrilled to be you know a little bit further south with this warmer weather uh-huh. so I'm bougie to like the cold weather like if it gets too cold I'm just like I can't I'll come back <laughs> Like in the spring or in the summer. So. You have no time for the cold. My bones can't take it. Like it's too much for me. It's way too much. Okay. Well, is it warm today? Yeah, it's warm. Okay. I went outside to my little patio space because I have a hammock outside. Uh-huh. And it's like 80, 80, I think it's like 82 right now. Okay. So it's, it's not going to go out a little later. It's manageable. Okay. So the other day, so what, what prompted this? this conversation I was kind of having a feeling about loving social work and loving what I do and then you like said it out loud and I'm like yes oh my god I can relate so (laughs) so first of all tell us a little bit about you and and you being a social worker and also a podcaster 
and then get into kind of like what was going on that day where you were feeling those feels. Mm-hmm. So, as you all know, my name is Nidia Guiti. I'm also a fellow LCSW like mm-hmm. Joy. I was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. I'm licensed in New York and the state of Georgia, which is where I currently reside in Atlanta. And um, I have a license pending in California. So fingers okay, crossed for that okay. one. That's the uh, hot mess to get your, your license transferred there. Um, I work as a contractor. I feel like our stories parallel a lot because uh-huh. we start working full-time around the same time. Yes, we did. So after April of, 2000, of this year, April 2020, I stopped working full-time and I'm dedicating my time to just working as a contractor. Um, and I work for a few places, but mainly a destructive event management company where if there's a crisis like a natural disaster or a death in the workplace, um, COVID. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> this is booming. Let me say that. Okay. COVID. Yes. Um, that, it's like bad business. when, it's like sad when business that is booming because right. it's like good for you, but it's also like sucks that people are going through things. My right, right. family owns a, um, a funeral home and it's like, mm. we got a body and it's like, damn, but somebody lost their life. Like it's, it's a weird thing, but I get it. It is. It is. So the, the destructive event management company, they'll just like dispatch you anytime that there's um, a destructive event uh-huh. <laughs> happening. And then my role in those spaces is just to provide emotional support and to let the employees know what their employee assistance program offers mm-hmm. but from the behavioral health side. And I love doing that because it's quick, it's easy, and you're in and out. And I, I find that when you are advocating for mental health, like you have to be the representative of that. Right. And I think that one of the things that, makes men- or selling mental health or behavioral health services so so difficult or challenging is that sometimes the people that are advocating it are not living <laughs> what they're selling exactly, and it's just like exactly. so you don't even look like you're happy mm-hmm. or you don't even look like you're put together you don't even look like you actively implement these things that you're telling me to do and then you want me to go see somebody like nah I'm not gonna go do it exactly. I'm not gonna go do it but when you I think that when you embody what you are representing and selling people are more open and receptive to participating in behavioral health services mm-hmm. so that's what I like about this particular job because you get to just kind of just share in a snapshot that's yeah I think that's mm-hmm. the best way to say it. like in a snapshot I don't have six months to work with you I have an hour yeah or two days if you call me back or okay. a week whatever the time that I'm there so that's but what it's I'm very doing short and term. I'm, huh but it's very short term very short term. Okay. I, I like short term. Yeah. Prior to working at an outpatient mental health clinic, I was working in the in the emergency room and that kind of like fast paced because yeah. it keeps you on your toes. Like for me, that kind of just keeps my brain going and, and growing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's what I do for work. And you said podcast and I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> I also have a podcast called Not Naturally Ever After. So it's funny and it's funny that you brought that part up because I recorded my first episode shortly after the Social Work Millennial Conference after going to your presentation. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, someone finally explained it in a way that feels doable. So let me do it finally. <laughs> it's so episodes. funny that I feel like we've known each other forever, but we just met in March. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Sam. Yes, I'm yes. <laughs> So, your podcast is amazing. Congratulations on it. 
Sometimes you just got to get started. And that's what I appreciate exactly. about your your presentation, because I think that for a while it was just stuck in my head about, oh, I have all these things going on at once. And the, the conference was in March. Mm-hmm. I resigned from my job or my last day was in April. So around that time frame, I'm just like, you know, I'm going to have more time to do things that I actually care about. Exactly. But how do I get started? And like, what is this going to look like? Right. And then I went to the conference and things started to like light up. I was like, oh, this don't make sense. Now it's making sense. So uh-huh. it's been it's been a, an amazing journey since April. I have 10 episodes, which I'm really, really excited yes, about. And I'm editing the 11th and that should be out, I think on Wednesday. Yeah, this Wednesday. Okay. I check my- Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so... So what got you into social work? I know that, and I'm adding questions. And um, the day that you you made that post about, like, loving what you do, what was going on that day? So which part first, the loving part or how I got into social work? Whichever whichever you want to answer first. All right, so let's talk about the post. Okay. So I I, I work from home. Um, I take clients through, like, Teladoc and Maven, the mm-hmm. Maven platform. Mm-hmm. And I was working from home, and I was meeting with a client, and they shared with me, it was, like, one of the shortest sessions that we had because they were feeling so good. Okay. And it was, like, you know, I feel like, you know, I've been implementing a lot of the things that we've been talking about, and I feel more confident in my ability to be present with what I'm feeling when it comes mm-hmm. and manage it where I don't feel like, oh, you know, I have to hold on to this until I meet with my therapist. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we, I have the skills, and it's, it's, a, it's a matter of now implementing those skills so I can manage on my own. And then when I come to therapy, it's more like, to strategize, not so much to, like, come and dump. And when they were telling me this, like, I'm joy. Like, my face, the way it is now, I was just lighting up. I'm like, yeah! <laughs> As a social worker that's in the behavioral health field, I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that the moment you open a case, you have to start talking about termination yeah. during the first session. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to meet with me forever. You're not. I'm not accessible to you. I am not the reason why you feel better. Exactly. That's the conversation I keep having. Like, I have a client who's like, every day, every every day, every time we meet, thank you so much. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> You're doing it. They're like, no, it's because of you. I'm like, no, it's not. Don't give me that much credit. Co-pilot. That's what I tell people. I'm your yeah, co-pilot. I like I'm the person in the passenger seat. And for, the, for a good person that sits on the passenger seat, you don't touch the driver's side. Uh-uh. Don't. Don't, don't play with the radio. Don't turn the AC up. Nothing. You keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> this person on the driver's seat is the one that controls the car. Exactly. And I just direct you. Yeah. You know. I'm the. I, I help you with the GPS. That's it. Right. There we go. And I, I and I like open up. Mm-hmm. I don't know gum. <laughs> right. And give and, and feed it to you. And if feed you it need to it. you if you if need you it. Yeah. But the goal is that you could drive with one hand, open the gum with the other hand, and I don't need to be yeah. in the car with you that part at some point you're going to pull over and let me out and then you're going to continue in your journey and that's that's one of the things that I love to to just emphasize in therapy so that people know from jump that like this is about empowering you so Mm -hmm. that you know that you have the skills within you to actually live your best life and do that because I don't I don't think that people need to be in therapy forever now this is more so we're not talking about like extreme cases right of course have like severe symptoms that's another conversation for another day right but like in this case i was just so happy we have been meeting weekly for a few weeks uh-huh. well once really i want to say since 
let's let's just say months for a few months and i had already been talking about transitioning to going to bi-weekly and uh-huh. at some point once a month and they were like oh you know i don't feel like i'm ready for that i was like okay it's okay if you're not ready for yeah. it now but just know that's coming we don't mm-hmm. I, I never want to get people to a space where they feel too comfortable meeting with me weekly and then thinking that's the stay all be all because i'm human yeah. One day I'm gonna go on vacation when Miss Rona decides to leave. <laughs> I'm not gonna be accessible then. I I don't I don't know if I'm gonna make it to the end. I think I'm about to be like the people I see on the internet and just go away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry in advance. But like it's but yeah, like I took off time for my birthday and so everybody wasn't happy about it. And I'm like, you are fine. You are fine. You got this. Because that's the fear is like folks become dependent on it or become dependent on you and they think like you are the answers. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not me. Right. It's not me. It's not. I'm like your co-pilot. You, are ma- you can manage this. Like, look at this. And then like giving them examples and showing them the work that they're doing on their own. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was important. One of the things that I, I tell clients to um, is like think of Therapy is not like when we're actually meeting. Therapy starts when you leave this office mm-hmm. or like when you leave this space because it's almost like life is now, after what you put out in the universe, life is like, oh, bet. Okay, so this is what you want to work on? Let's see now if you're going to hold yourself accountable to your own work exactly. without being in therapy. Because exactly. again, I'm not there to check whether or not you did it. Right. It's great to talk about what's going on. It's great to vent. But part of treatment is also modifying your behavior in a way that's going to be healthy for you. And if you're not actively doing that, talking to me is not changing anything. If, well, and to an extent, yes, in that you get to vent. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do anything with what you just said, then it's in vain. Right, right, and it right. Right, like if somebody comes and they're like, oh, people say that I'm combative or whatever. And if you just want to talk about all of the fights you had this week, but you don't have a goal or a plan to, to change. Okay, now when that happens again, because if it happens every day, it's going to happen again. So when it happens right. again, what are you going to do this time? How are you going to address right. that this time so it's different so you don't mm-hmm. keep on having the same results? Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. what it is. Like, I think a lot of people, or in my experience, have still feel like, oh, this is not scary. Or like, you're not... <laughs> You don't have me laying down. I mean, that was virtual. But, like, it's not scary and you're not, like, mean or you're not, like, I don't know. I don't know what people think therapy is. I think that the people that are advocating therapy don't reflect something that's relatable. Mm. And I think that that's part of the issue in the profession. Like, sometimes, and maybe this is just the responsibility of therapists Mm -hmm. to be more visible in a way that's relatable so that people are not scared to go to therapy. That's true. Yeah, because even when you were saying how you were like, yes, to your client, like I do stuff like that. When they say like they did a thing or like they used a a thing we've talked about, I'm like, okay, like I get excited because you should be excited. You've made a change. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. if it's a little bit of success or a little bit of progress, it's still a change. It's still working towards your goals. But they're like, oh, you like (laughs) scream? Like, yeah, girl, we're excited. It's a celebration. You're real cool, Miss Nidia. Like, right. well, what were you expecting, beloved? Like, was I supposed to be born? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Was I supposed to be whack? Like, you thought this was a dub? Like, no. <laughs> you thought this was a dub. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like, when people are like, oh, you're like a person. And I'm like, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. First, first and foremost, I don't care how many degree certifications, I don't care how many alpha, how many letters of the alphabet you have behind your name. You are human first. Absolutely. And I think that again, this speaks to the visibility, but also just being like humane in what you do where people can relate to the actual person. Because mm-hmm. I think when when you meet someone who has so much education, so much formal training, and you're serving a community who does not have that. Right, there right. is a little bit of intimidation there. And then there's the age gap. So it's like, this person is like half my age, right. has all these years of education. Like, what do I have to contribute? Or will they will they be able to relate to me with where I am in this moment? Right. And I think that that has a lot to do with the therapist themselves, mm-hmm. how they present, um, but also the, the inner work that they do within themselves so mm. that they can find some, some way to connect with someone else. Because again, yes, I have a master's degree and yes, I have a license. Mm-hmm. But, but aside from these things, I think I'm bomb without them. Yeah, you fire. What we said earlier, you fire. <laughs> <laughs> they just add to the mix. And, what it, yeah. and for me, what these things mean is that I have a set of skills that are going to help propel me to make more money in this specific thing. Right. By no means am I better than you. By no means doesn't mean that we can't relate or we can't converse about certain things. Exactly. And I think that's the that's the gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't go vent in somebody's couch and they're all stuffy. Like mm-mm. Me I need to see the humanity in the space. Exactly. Yeah. I have a um well maybe I shouldn't start it with that. But Sometimes you meet people who are in school or, or or already in the fields and they're like, oh, I don't believe in and like I don't believe in like letting down my professional whatever their interpretation of that is like guard. And I'm like, I don't think me cheering on a client or cursing or letting someone curse. I don't think that makes me less of a professional. I think it just makes the space feel more comfortable. Right. Right. And I think also, so like now we're kind of segueing into like boundaries. Yeah. Because like not homegirls either. That too. We're not friends. We're not friends. You know, don't follow me on social media because I will block. (laughs) If it's a professional page, cool. But the personal, no. Right. But like that boundary of, I think that there's there's definitely that space where you can be professional, be personable and not have this not have the clients believe that, you know, the two of you are besties and you all are going to go out for drinks or something like right, that. Right, because it's not going to happen. Professional doesn't mean whack. And professional right. does not mean and not relatable. You can do both. Right, right. And I think that's where sometimes people get it twisted is like, oh, if you're being professional, you have to be, like, very, like, stush versus, like, just be yourself because you're a professional. Right, right. Like, you right. are a professional. right. Just show up and be authentic. Mm-hmm. And then I think then people feel like they can too be authentic. I think that needs to be a class in a lot of grad mm-hmm. programs mm-hmm. for social work. Yeah. Because. Or all mental health. Um, mental health in general. In right? general, yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that it's, it's feasible or realistic to support people in a way that you, you don't know how to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I can't give you what I don't give myself. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. The reason why I can be so hyped, the reason why I can be so personable and do all these things, because that's how I treat me. Right, right. When I'm by myself, I'm in my apartment like, yes, girl, because <laughs> that's how I treat myself. So right. I can do that to you. It's an overflow. Right. But sometimes people think that, and, and, and not that there's not a difference, like not that like how I show it with my friends is how I show it with my clients, because it's not. 
Um, but like being personable and being able to make a connection with somebody, I think some folks I've heard are like scared to do that because they're like, in school I was taught that you have to be like serious. You can't cry. You can't show emotion. You can't have facial expressions. And I'm like, (sighs) what school is this? (laughs) Look, look, man. Part of connecting a school in New York city. This person was like, oh, you make faces. And I'm like, and not inappropriate faces, like, but if like I'm confused about something, some especially if we're on we're virtual now. So sometimes I might like say, like, I'm not sure what you're can you explain it to me? And like I have an expression because like that is a natural reaction. And they're like, mm-hmm. I was taught in school not to make faces. And I was like, my face doesn't know how to do that. Also, like <laughs> I'm confused. Or like if I'm excited about something, you can see it on my face. I'm like smiling. I'm like, oh my God. You know, they're like, no, we had a professor that said you shouldn't, the client should never know anything about you. If they're crying, like if they tell you something sad, even if you feel sad and you want to cry, you can't cry. You just have to sit there and be like stoic. I was like, I wouldn't want to talk to you. I said, I wouldn't want to talk to you. I agree to an extent that there are certain things that as a as a therapist you should not do in session with I the agree. client. Yes. So there is that boundary. Cause again, we're going back to the same part. There right. is a boundary. But like to be stoic, you would see me once and never again. Because right. I'm just like, who am I talking to? It's so a war. Exactly. Exactly. But like I said, I said I was I was I've been taught like when it comes to crying, for example. If you tell me something sad, I don't think I need to be on the floor boohooing about your life and your experiences. I just imagined you on the floor literally boohooing. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it's funny that you're crying, but that's mad extra. (laughs) Right. But, like, I'm not going to, like, throw myself on the floor and be like, oh, my God, that happened to you? That's so sad. Like, that's inappropriate. Right. Um, I don't think I've ever cried with somebody. Not that I can remember off the top of my head, but like, I also wouldn't sit like this and be like, I'm not making eye contact and I'm not going to ask you if you're okay. Maybe even if you want a hug or whatever, do you want? Like, she was like, no, you just have to sit there. And I was like, nah, I would never. Where I cried. And it wasn't even like sobbing. It was like a tear. Like my eyes welled up. Mm -hmm. Um, With the first one, it was something about, like, I don't remember the whole story, but I remember, like, I teared up. Yeah. And she connected to that. And yeah. she was like, you know, I feel comfortable that I can come here and share something like this and that you don't have, like, this blank expression. And I don't feel crazy for even feeling this way. Exactly. And we, and I promise, I could do not, after that, that session, she started keeping her appointment. <laughs> <laughs> this is a community mental health clinic. Uh-huh. So, like, you know. You set appointments, people miss them left and right. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like you're begging people to come, which is so different from private practice. Right. And then after that, this person started keeping their appointments regularly because they felt like they could connect to me. And I think that that helped the therapeutic relationship. Yeah. I had another instance where it was just like a lot to hear. Like one of the populations that for me is hard to work with on the long-term basis is children. Mm-hmm. Like for me, that's a, sens- a sensitive spot. Mm-hmm. And then you throw sexual abuse into the mix and it's just yeah. like, okay, I need to 
keep a distance. In in this particular job, someone shared something with me. Um, they were sexually exploited as a child, okay. and it was like they shared details, and I've mm. never asked for those kinds of details because right. vicarious trauma is real. Like it's very. I don't real. need to know who did what and when and where and how it felt. I don't need to know any of that. Yeah. What I do need to know is how you feel as a result of that, exactly. and that is what we can work on. Because also so that, them talking about all of that stuff might bring up a lot of other things for them that you might not have the time or the capacity to be able to like. Right. Put back or whatever. Right. And then also for me. Yeah, like, and that too. You I, too. I right. I leave with that. And then sometimes you can't shake it off. Yes. And it stays. And I feel so deeply sometimes that like, I, it's just not something that I want to carry. And I remember, yes. Joy, I will never forget. After I left that home, like I teared up, like she teared up and I teared up. Mm-hmm. And then like, I was able to pivot and shift the subject and kind of get what I needed to get to complete her assess- the, uh-huh. the assessment. And then I made it to my car and I left the the, the housing complex where they were. Mm-hmm. I think I was like at a burger king or something and I sobbed. Yeah. Oh my God. I sobbed yeah. for such a long time because it felt like I can't believe that people could be so cruel to children. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't got to like me. You don't got to love me. But don't hurt me on purpose. Exactly. Like, exactly. To me, that is just evil. And I... I see, look... <laughs> I need some tissue. Like, just thinking about it, I'm just like... Yeah. A child can't fend for themselves in a way that, that an adult can. And it's not to say that a, that adults need to be abused either, but mm-hmm. it's it's a cruel world sometimes. It and is. It I is. feel like in social work, like, you... you, It's almost like you're reminded. Yeah. That even if you're doing great work and you are helping people... There's still so many people out there that are not getting help, yeah. that are not getting support, don't even know that this service exists and mm-hmm. are suffering. Yeah. I saw this thing one time and it was like, everybody's not going to have a happily ever after. And I was like, damn, but that's true. It is. And it's it sad is. and it hurts and it makes you feel like, how can I do more? But it's it's like a sad reality mm-hmm. that everybody doesn't think about the next one and how they can help them and like maybe I shouldn't do this because it can hurt someone but it, it's hard to I don't I'm like so back to what she was saying I'm like how do you not have a reaction to someone telling you something like that I don't know I don't know either she was like oh I just didn't think I could react and I'm like I wouldn't want to talk to you somebody has sent me a DM one time they're in social work school and they said one of their assignments was like, do you think that um, artificial intelligence or like more of like a digital therapist versus a real human could ever take over? And I was like, I don't I don't personally think so, because I wouldn't want to talk to somebody like that. I would I like to talk to people and connect with people. And I think that's what people need. <laughs> It is absolutely what people need. And I, when I think about artificial intelligence, it's like, okay, maybe it could. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. But what happens when the power goes out? Yeah. What you going to do? Right. <laughs> then a, a human has to come and be like, hi, um, right. I wasn't listening, but the computer don't work no more. Like, what? No. Right. All, all of these advances in technology are great in helping. Yeah. But they are not intended to replace place human interaction and i think this is the part that people are missing right we are designed to connect with other people this is why the pandemic is so hard exactly it's the, that's exactly why if it were easy 
if 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 having human connection were not essential, the pandemic wouldn't even be an issue because I don't have to see y'all anyway. Exactly. I don't need to hang out. We don't need to share space and time and laughter. Right. But people are struggling because that is the one thing that helps in managing emotions and addressing emotions and having community. And it's the one thing that we cannot do because depending on the situation, you might get sick and people are really struggling with that. Exactly. I haven't seen my mom in months. Right. And she lives up the street. Right. Or my children can't go outside and hang out with their friends like they normally do. Like, mm-hmm. this summer was rough. This summer you know, was rough. Like, to be home all day and yeah. you can't go to the park and hang out with your friends. Yeah. I was talking to a friend and he was like, this is my first summer living in New York City. I was like, and you did not have a New York summer. You did not. <laughs> I'm like, Sorry. Because even though they're like starting to open stuff up, it's still not the same. It's not. A lot of people still aren't comfortable with being around other people. I'm a lot of people. Like, yeah. I'm home. Yeah. I, I'm a person that like loves physical touch, and people are like, Joy, I'm not hugging you. I'm like, come on. <laughs> we wear masks. But it's, and like some of my friends have because they're like, you're annoying. But also, like, I could be putting myself and them in, in danger. Like, and that's a scary feeling. Right. Even with like work, I've, I've just started going back into the office mm-hmm. twice a week, but it's wearing a mask. The person mm-hmm. wears a mask and like, it's not the most comfortable. I don't mm-hmm. love it, but I'm also like, God forbid you come to therapy. And then you're like, now I got COVID. My therapist gave me COVID. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to risk that. Yeah. But I also really like in-person connection with people. Because it's essential. Yeah. It is so essential. So I don't think artificial intelligence is going to make therapy or, or replace a human from from providing the service. Right. Like, it, it's, to me, it just doesn't make sense. If it works for somebody, then great. Right. At least you found what helps. And if that's great for you, good. But yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't meet with, uh, like, a program right. to, about what's going on in my life. Right. No, I need, I need human interaction. Yeah. I do. Okay. Okay. I agree. <laughs> what about, um, what about social work or even behavioral health or other kinds of mental health services do you think is so important for people of color? Or black people? Or people of color? Let's say people of color. Well, definitely therapy. Yeah. <clears throat> definitely therapy. But I think, too, that, like, therapy is what you identify it to be for you. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when you look at... And, like, what comes up to mind for me is, like, the cultural piece of it. So, like, right. I was born and raised in the Bronx. My family's from Honduras. And, like, for me to say, like, hey, you know, we should have a family session. I think that would be amazing in theory. Yeah. But, like, if you were to meet my family, that is never going to happen. <laughs> How does your family feel about you being a social worker? I think that, you know, 10 years after the fact, my mom is opening up Uh to the idea of, like, emotions and managing them and, you know, focusing your attention on what you are able to control and all this other stuff. But for a really long time, like, my mom just used to make fun of it. Like, you know, what is a therapist going to tell me about myself? And it's like, but that's not what therapy is. My mom. It's not you go to therapy and someone tells you about yourself. You go to therapy to talk about what it is that's bothering you. And this person is supposed to support you and how to how to distribute the load in a way that doesn't feel like 
you're drowning. Right, right. It's almost like it's almost like you know if things are not going well, and it's like you're not doing well, but you don't need therapy either. Then it's like okay, you don't have to go see somebody, but you have to do something. So mm-hmm. figure out what the something is for you, and that's what I mean by identifying therapy in a way that's functional for you. Uh-huh. There's some people that are never gonna go see someone like me and you right. ever, right, ever. Right. They just won't. And that's okay. That is fine. But do you have support? Do you have friends that check you when you need to be checked so that you can see, see, so that you can see what they see in the moment that you may not be seeing it? Right. Because I feel like that's what therapy is in some ways. So it's almost like a fresh set of eyes to a situation that you may be looking at it from one lens and then this other person can offer you another, another way to look at it so that you can, again, distribute the load in a way that's healthy. Exactly. So that you're not carrying so much. But whatever therapy looks like for you, do something. Because right. to keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, good luck with that. Because it's not going to change. It's not. It's not. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's a great point. What got you into social work? It was actually by accident. <laughs> So I was originally a nursing major. So this is how I met Sam, our mutual friend. Uh At the University of Vermont, my my life dream was to go to Howard University. Mm -hmm. I was going to pledge AKA. I had, like, my life planned out. And then I didn't get in. And I was, like, crushed. So at the end... The, the, uh, I was in between two schools, the University of Vermont, mm-hmm. which I was encouraged to apply to because at the time, like, my SAT score sucked. Okay. And for the admissions process, UVM doesn't hold or th- they don't look at the SATs as, you know, a deterrent to potentially accepting students. Okay. So I had applied. Didn't, I had no intentions of going there. And then it was the University of Vermont or Hartwick College in Anianta, New York. Okay. Um, Hartwick offered me a scholarship, but I still had to take out like a ridiculous amount of loans for my first year. And then UVM offered me a full scholarship. Oh, well. <laughs> and then I was like, damn. So where is this school again? <laughs> school program, the youth leadership program mm-hmm. paid for me to go to Burlington to just see the school. Uh-huh. And then that's when I met Sam because she was my host for that weekend. Okay. Yeah, so I, w- I did discovering UVM for like three days, and I was like walking around campus, and I'm like, dang, I, I might come here, shit. And I was like, it's April, and it's still snow on the floor. Like, no. do I really? But it, it, it all boiled down to money at the last minute. But yeah. point is that for both schools, my major, my declared major was nursing. Okay. I went to a vocational high school in the Bronx, Jane Adams Vocational High School, okay. and I got certified as a nursing assistant. So like at the time it just made sense to go into nursing. Right. And then being in Vermont was the first time that I ever lived in another state without my parents. Uh-huh. It was the first time that I was ever in such a white space where like I stood out like a sore thumb. And emotionally, I don't think that I was emotionally mature to take a lot of that on, but I think mm-hmm. that that's the reality just, you know, for black people that continue to pursue higher education. It's almost like the higher you go, yeah. if you don't go to HBCU, less and less people look like you. Right. So you are going to be one of four or one of three. Like, it was not or uncommon. One. <laughs> or one of, only one, one of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It was not uncommon for me to get on a flight from New York to Burlington and be the only only person of color on the flight. Like, right. not even black. Because I'm also looking for Asian people. I'm yeah. Latina. And then it's I'm just you. Somebody. <laughs> the pilot, somebody, Jesus. Right. 
and I'm the only one. Yeah. And, you know, after a while I got used to it, but it really hurt me academically because of just the microaggressions and the racism mm. from professors mm. made it so hard for me to just be, you know, an 18-year-old kid in college wanting to just have the normal experience like my peers, but feeling like I was being treated differently. And it got so bad, Joy, like... I was not the the kid that wanted to experiment. Like, I was, like, a goody two-shoes in yeah. college. And you would think that my mom was watching me, but she wasn't even in the state. <laughs> I would go to the library every day. I would study all the time. You know you go to the library and stay late when you know the procedure to get kicked out. They flicker the lights. They flick the lights. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you know you got to leave. This was every single day. Like, I'm talking about studying was life for me. Yeah. Like, that's all I did. And I could barely keep up. Mm. barely keep up uh-huh. so the second semester or going into the second semester of my sophomore year I got kicked out of the college of nursing and health sciences and almost got kicked out of the university because my GPA dropped below the threshold uh-huh. so I was able to stay because I had support letters from like the student um counseling no not counseling the student tutoring center mm-hmm. and like when they wrote my support letter it, I had like a ridiculous amount of numbers of like how many times I went to tutoring for chemistry and anatomy and biology it was like 40 something times in the semester that's a lot that's a lot that's at least, it is like at least two to three times a week like just yeah. going like hey I have a question about this yeah. and like really trying to understand it so it wasn't a you know I'm in college having having the time of my life and I'm flunking out is I'm working my butt off I don't have the help that I need from the people that need to be helping me yeah. aside from the tutoring center right. and I'm still not doing well. So it, it boiled down to you're either going to do an extra year and you can stay in the program or, you know, try to find your way back yeah. or you can change your major to graduate on time. I knew in 2005 that Nidia Iguiti was not staying past <laughs> May 17, 2009. No way. <laughs> you were like, I am the fuck out of here. <laughs> Well, for anybody that's listening to this that went to a school that's predominantly white, it's, it doesn't feel like the HBCU experience nah. by far. Well, you want to live there like, forever. You just right, want to graduate. Yeah. It was like, no, I know I, I I came in with a goal and I was sticking to it no matter what. Nursing or not, yeah. I was not staying past May 17th. At all, yeah. I remember being like, I'm only going to be in college for four years. I don't care if I have to take 18 credits every day, like every semester. Getting that the fuck part. out. I'm not staying here. Yep. I'm out. Yeah. So my, my <laughs> advisor at the time, the nursing advisor, suggested social work. And I was so insulted. I was just Why? like... Why? <laughs> at the time. Uh-huh. So this is where the visibility part comes that's in. A, that's, that's the only thing... Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I was, I'm thinking about social workers that were in my... That I knew or like knew of when I was in college. And they were like older white women with very short hair and like cat vests <laughs> with the matching socks with the matching socks that's what I thought social workers look like like what <laughs> like you you want me to go from nursing which in my mind and from what I knew at the time it's yeah. like okay I'm definitely gonna get a job once I pass the NCLEX like I'm gonna be good and you know work my way up uh-huh. easy six figures easy and then social work they don't even make money like that was the only thing that came to mind it's just like (laughs) i'm already struggling and now you want me to struggle more like why would i why would i do that Uh but then 
you know, I, I took a semester. I was undeclared, just took electives to kind of raise my GPA. And then I got accepted into the social work program. And in my mind, initially at the time was, this is just so that I get out of UVM mm. and then I'm going to explore nursing options on a graduate level once I leave here. Okay. And then I started taking classes and I'm like, okay, so social work is not just um, child protective services. Yes. Hello. Social work can also be behavioral health. And I was like, oh, so I can still work at a hospital. I can still work, uh-huh. you know, with people in this kind of capacity. And I felt like for me, it felt better in that I, I didn't have to, like, touch people. I didn't have to, like, touch fluids. I didn't Blood. have to do any of that stuff. And I was like, okay, I can, I, I don't know about grad school yet, but let me see, let me see how this goes. And uh-huh. as the semesters went on, and I, my GPA, like, skyrocketed after that, and I was just happy. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's a, that's an emotion that's underrated, because it's almost like, you know, you have to struggle through college so that you can, you know, at some point have this career and it's just mm-hmm. like the career to me doesn't mean nothing it's like the journey to get there is not if it healthy. fucking sucks like, yeah <laughs> yeah I, I just I, I I fell in love with social work yeah. let me just say that I fell in love with it I was excited to go to grad school and my program at UVM was advanced standing okay. or the the senior year would have been equivalent to the foundation year of the graduate program mm-hmm. so when I got into Fordham and I'm once I moved back home Grad school was only, what, like nine months? Oh, nice. So 2009, I graduated with a BSW, and then 2010 with an MSW. Nice. I think it's crazy. I don't remember a lot of what happened. <laughs> it was a blur. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, I, looking is. now, almost 10, well, 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. Happy an- um, happy 10-year anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> it's a decade. It's and I'm thankful that I have a mom that pushed me to do it because I was just tired. I was like, yeah. I don't want to go back to school. I need a break. And for, again, anyone listening to this who has parents that are not from this country mm. and education is upheld, like, I'm talking about next to God. Like, yes. that's, that's how important <laughs> education is. For you to say, oh, well, I'm going to take a break and you have the opportunity to do it now, not going to happen. Yeah. So it's almost like, I mean, I was living at home, so it would have been harder for me not to go to school and still be there. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fascinating. So now, what are your thoughts about it? How do you feel about what you do? I love what I do. Yeah. I think that I'm in a I'm in a space in my career now where I want to transition from like um, direct care, where uh-huh. I'm meeting with people one on one, maybe doing more like group work mm. or trainings, because I think that the vis- the visibility piece is something that needs to shift in the field. Yes, a lot of um, influencers are talking about mental health and they're not trained. Yeah, a lot of um, there's a lot of misinformation circulating, and I think that Michelle said that she was going to um, be holding sessions at some point, and I was like. Now, K. Michelle. Who said this? K. Michelle, the singer. Oh, yeah, I heard, mm, I heard she, that. She had a bachelor's in psychology or something. And it was like, that's not how that works. Don't do it's that. It's not. <laughs> Don't go talk to her. It's really not. I mean, I think that there's, I think that she, she has value to add in right. her own life. Of course. But I think that if you're going to do something like sessions, it's important for you to have the supports that you need around you in the event that you meet with a client that you may not be able to support 
considering what they're bringing to you. And I think that this is something that a lot of people also don't know about therapy. You don't know who's coming to you. Yeah. You don't know what they're going to say. Exactly. It can, it can turn to a dangerous situation real quick. Yeah. Then what? What's it going to do? It's like, oh, I'm a little sad. And then it's like, and I'm going to do this, this, this. And I have this, this, this plan. And you're like, oh, okay. If you don't know the proper people to contact or the things to say in that moment, mm-hmm. it can mm-hmm. really be bad for you and that person. Right. And it's a huge liability. It is. It's a huge liability. And I think that that's not communicated right. for people that want to get into the mental health space or like influencers that want to they want to advocate for mental health. It's yeah. great if you want to be a mental health advocate. That's very different from being a therapist. That right. is very different from having sessions. Hugely. You can talk about mental health all day long and link people to the direction that they need to go to get that actual support. But to take that on and not have the training to do that, you're doing a disservice to the person because you you're not really helping. If anything, I think personally that more harm than good is being done. And right. that's not fair to them. Right. Not at all. Yeah, I agree. I'm mad as hell if I'm coming to somebody for help and then you can't help me and now I got to go to somebody else for help and repeat what I just told you. Like, for all that, I could have bypassed you altogether. And just going to somebody that know what they were talking about. Or that could better, that was a better uh, fit and support for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What would be a thing that you would tell folks who are, well, I guess so. there's two questions. Folks who are interested in social work, what would be some advice you would give them or encouragement you would give them? And then folks who are like, I know I need to talk to somebody or I need to do something about the things that I'm feeling, thinking, or the ways that I'm acting. So for the people that want to get into social work, let's start there. I think that it is important to vet people into Mm. the field. Um, when people say like, oh, you know, I'm going to be a social worker because I like helping people. You don't have to, you don't need a degree in social work to do that. You You can hold a book for somebody. That's helping them. (laughs) Bring my groceries up. That's helping them. Why do you want to be in social work? And how are you going to use this position to, to elevate the field, but also have an impact in a way that's not easy? Because I think that, and I I feel like this is the mirror between you and I, where like we hype, we were just so excited when people feel good about their own abilities because it's like I don't feel bad for my client right no there's nothing, bad about. there's nothing to feel bad about yes there's sometimes I can feel sadness or you know I can consult with someone to kind of see how I can better support this person right. but you have everything in you that you need and it's a matter of bringing that out or supporting you and bringing that out so that at some point you can stop meeting with me exactly and I think some people get into the field thinking that they're going to help people and then there's like this there's this undertone of pity, like, oh, well, I'm trying to help you out. Yep. But who said yep. they needed that kind of help? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or that you were the person to give it to them. Right, or like this person that I was talking about earlier who's like, well, they can't handle it, so I have to do it. And I'm like, that's a terrible way to think about other people. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, because it's... Who told you? Who told you their... I said, but you don't know their capacity... And it sounds like you are really over-exaggerating yours. That part. <laughs> like This complex is dangerous. It is. It is. I think schools need to do a better job betting people. Because I remember being in grad school and being like, I would never talk to this person. I'd never talk to this person. I'd never talk to this person. I'd never talk to this person. Maybe somebody else would, but I wouldn't encourage it. Or I also like, have had interns that I'm like, you, mm-mm. Like, 
like you don't listen enough because you think you have all of the answers. And that's the problem. And I think that I think that there needs to be something um, ingrained into the training about Mm -hmm. looking inward, looking inward before you start doing all this outward. Like I can't. I can't like be all this support to this person and this person and that person and my life is in sh- is in shambles. Like I need to take right. care of me. like what is it what is it number one that drew me to the field? Exactly. What are things that like what, learning what my limitations are? Mm-hmm. That's important. Exactly. I know I can't work with everybody. No way. Nope. I've had to break up with clients like this is not working because your energy or whatever it is, is just not working with me. And I am, I'm not going to give you the best joy because it's just not, it's not working. Mm-hmm. And that, in the that health setting is yeah. a little different because you don't really have a choice sometimes. Right. If a sign is a sign, they're sign that you kind of just have to work through it. Right. But like, it's important to know who you can't work with. Yeah. Populations, age groups, all of that stuff. Like, because your bias is going to show. It will. It will. And I've seen it. Yeah. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> right. Are you kidding me? Like, this, the things that I've seen just in the past 10 years of being in the field, yeah. I mean, great things. And I've met great people. And then there's other circumstances that I continue to question. And I don't think that it's like, a, it's not a personal attack. But I think that this is a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. Because mm-hmm. if you have people going into the field and they themselves are not well, how in the entire hell are they going to be supportive and present for someone else? Right, right. Yeah, right. you can't. Yeah. And I feel like that's what social work has taught me. And I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, this detour in life brought me to social work mm-hmm. as opposed to me forcing something that was just not meant for me at that time. Right. Because all of this, like, inner work has been a gift. It ha- Yeah, I agree. Especially it's over a- the last... Since we've quit our full-time jobs. Yeah. Oh, especially. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the joy of a few years ago would have been on the floor in the corner. Like, the first, my last paycheck, it would have been like, well, I don't, I'm just not going to function right now. But it was like, no, you totally are capable and have the abilities to do the things that you want to do. And, because you can. So do them. Five months, four or five months. Yeah, five months. Yeah. Never in my adult life prior to this year or like, because I've been working on quitting since like 2018. Uh-huh. <laughs> and never in my life prior to like 2018 that I think that I would be, I would feel comfortable not working for someone else full time. Because yeah. that's what I was taught. Yeah. You go to school, you graduate and you work. Yeah. And then it's like, there has to and be more to life. <laughs> Right, and then you retire, and I'm just like, no, this doesn't feel like it's it. And then, like, actually having the courage to just do it. Yeah. And I gave myself a year. I was like, look, you're not, I'm not allowed to look at Indeed. I'm Uh not allowed to be on LinkedIn looking for jobs. Uh I mean, if they present themselves and opportunities come up and they work with the schedule that I currently have, then yes, I'll consider it. But for me to look for a job from a place of desperation is just like, well, what am I teaching people if I don't if I don't have faith in my own exactly. word and myself and my own ability? Yep. Like your work is so important in the field of social work, and I think that that's that's what needs to be highlighted. So that's what I would tell I people going into the field. Like, you know, why are you going into the field, and like, what is it that you can contribute and and lead by example? That's the phrase I'm mm. looking for. Lead by example to support other people so that they know what what to do too. Right. It's not. 
it's, I think it's more from a place of overflow as opposed to lack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. What was the second question? <laughs> oh, what would you say to people who are like, oh, maybe I need to go to therapy or I want to talk to somebody, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Either like they're not sure if therapy is for them or they're not sure. I guess like what to look for in a therapist. Mm-hmm. I think um, I journal a lot. Uh-huh. I think that mindfulness and meditation is helpful in just being present mm-hmm. because sometimes we don't know what we need. Yeah. So it's hard, especially if you feel like, you know, I do want to talk to someone, but I don't even know what to look for then I think that one of the things that helps is just to look. Look and see what you gravitate towards mm-hmm. and what you are like, eh, maybe not. But you're not going to know what, 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 excuse me, you're not going to know what is the right fit until you start looking. So even if you don't talk to someone, like just research, you know, places to look yeah. so that when you feel like you're ready, now you know where to go. So like Therapy for Black Girls is a great resource. Yeah. Um, I used to say Psychology Today, but I mean, it's up there. Um, <laughs> Open Path Collective, uh-huh. therapy for for Latinx. It's so many uh-huh. things. Um, and then you can look in your, I think it's like the Department of Health, depending on what state you live in. There's mm-hmm. a lot of resources for you to find places for behavioral health services. Right. So just being aware of where these places are, the phone numbers, the address, just keep it there. In yeah. your, you know, like a little tab in your, in your phone or something. So then when you're ready... Now you know where to look. So it's not a matter of, oh, I need therapy and I don't know where to go. Because it can feel overwhelming, especially when you're in a space where things are not good. Yeah. Because then you feel rushed and you feel like you have to find somebody today and it doesn't always work out that way. Um, And to what you were saying about like when you feel like you're ready, because I think there's an importance in feeling like I'm ready for therapy. If that's what you choose. Like if you choose to go to therapy and talk to a therapist, to be ready and feel like you should go. I think are very different things because if you're like, I should go to therapy, then what you put into it might not be the same as if you're like, I'm ready to go. Right. And again, it kind of goes back to the mindfulness yeah. piece about being intentional and aware with where you are. Mm-hmm. Because somebody can say like, oh, I think you need to go to therapy. That too. And, and who are you to tell me? <laughs> let's go together. <laughs> right. Let's go together. And yeah, not so that like, it's an insult, but it's also like, I think we all need a little something, especially now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we do too. It's good to know. I think it's just good to know like where to go. Yeah. Where to go so that when you're ready, you know where those resources are and then you kind of just take the next step. And it's not to say that you're going to find the right person too. So that's another thing. All therapists are not created equal right. and everything doesn't gel with everyone. And yeah. I, I, I think of therapy like, like wearing shoes. Mm. Like... You're not going to walk outside barefoot because one pair of shoes was uncomfortable. Right. Ooh. You're going to... Ooh, I like you know, that. Fine, I'm going to wear it, but, like, these are not comfortable. I need to go find another pair of comfortable shoes. Right. And sometimes it might be two, three pairs before you find the right fit. Mm-hmm. And then once you find your, your your favorite pair, then you're good to go. Right. But I've never walked outside barefoot. Not in these streets. Not, with Ms. Rona. Not in these Rona streets. <laughs> 
I would never walk outside barefoot. So it's like think of therapy in that way. Just because yeah. I mean it's not it's not pleasant to have an unpleasant experience with mm-hmm. someone who's supposed to be supporting you, but they're also they that person is also not the only therapist out here. Mm-hmm. There's so many other resources. And then with telehealth, that opens up the possibilities even more because now Absolutely. the therapist only has to be licensed in the state that you live in. They don't even have to be there. Yeah. So people are licensed in the state that you live in and you don't find a therapist that's local physically, you can still find someone exactly. that can to support to you. I think that's been huge because oh, like I had a client who lives in Albany, New York. We would never have crossed paths mm-hmm. before. So Yeah, Albany is deep. Albany. Sometimes as New Yorkers, we forget that like it's this, not just the boroughs. New York is not the city. <laughs> I got a friend that live in Buffalo. I'm like, that's not New York. She's like, yes, it is. I'm like, I mean, it's not New York, New York. Or when people are like, oh, I'm from New York. Like, where you from? Rochester. Like, okay. Bye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Nobody cares about Her roommate at UVM, um, she was from Riverdale. But she was out here telling people she's from the Bronx. And I'm like, really? What part of the Bronx are you from? She goes, oh, you know, I'm from Riverdale. I'm like, that is not the Bronx. <laughs> like, theoretically, it's the Bronx. But, yeah. She it's was not. claiming Riverdale. <laughs> that line. You live past the line. That's not the Bronx. <laughs> when you if on- you don't have a bodega on your block, definitely, that's not the Bronx. Definitely no bodegas over there. At all. And the train stops. It's like an abrupt stop on the one train and that's it. (laughs) And that was when it was the one and the nine train. Yes, yes. That's not the Bronx, sis. (laughs) (laughs) If if you're listening to this, hey. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Um... Thank you so much. You, You had said something. I don't know. I don't think you said it during this, but you said it before we started recording. That like the people have the source. Yes, I believe I believe we all have the source uh-huh. in our own right and light. And depending on the people that we cross paths with, cross paths with, mm-hmm. sometimes they bring it out in us a little bit more. But I think that like it, it's in us. Yeah, it's in us. It's important to surround yourself around love and light and people that bring out the best in you, so that you can go out and be great. Yes. Stop externalizing your happiness and like, I'm going to be happy when this happens. I'm going to be happy when this person comes into my life. Be happy now. Yes, yes. Tomorrow is not promised. And I don't I don't like to have like this morbid way of thinking, but I feel like it keeps me on my toes to like not put stuff off. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to be happy today. Yeah. If I want to wear sparkly shoes, I'm going to wear them today. I want to feel good now. I want to yeah. feel good today with what I have available to me and everything else that comes into my life is a surplus yeah. but I'm, I'm thankful for what I have in the moment and teach living that is important so that you're able to teach it absolutely absolutely because I don't think because I, I feel like I used to live in a space of like when I get to this when I get to this or like I don't have this so I can't feel this other people have it and I couldn't have been able to I'm sure that I didn't couldn't do what I do now in that mind space now it's like well, why you can't do it well, because my sister got a boyfriend. I'm never going to have a boyfriend. What your sister boyfriend got to do with you? And this is why your practice is full. Because your light, people draw to that. I'm, right. I'm so serious. Right. People draw to that. They want to connect. Right, right. They want to connect. And it's because you're living, you're actively living what you're teaching. Yeah. Right. We are all on this journey together. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed our conversation so I much. I did too. Where can people find you? Y'all can find me on the gram at Miss Guiti. It's like guilty, no L. M S G U I T Y. And the same, the same um, handle and LCSW is the professional page. I'm all things natural hair and emotional well-being. Yes. And where's, what's your podcast again for the people? Oh, Naturally Ever After is on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Joy taught me how to do all that. Hey. <laughs> I got a little bit of skills. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a guest. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great one. Say no. Uh-